Welcome to the Committing High Reason podcast. I'm your host, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. I've said so many times that Zionism is a liability to everybody in the world, Jews, non-Jews, everybody, not only from a religious perspective. I'm talking about from a common sense, survival, peace on earth, quality of life perspective. Zionism is a liability for everybody. But in order to combat Zionism, we need to understand what it is. Zionism is what makes Israel different than all other countries in the world, and Israel's nationalism different than all other nationalisms in the world. Every country in the world claims to be the country of its citizens. Japan is the country of the Japanese. France is the country of the French. But Israel doesn't claim to be the country of the Israelis, although that's what Israel would be without Zionism. Israel claims that what Japan is to the Japanese and France is to the French, Israel is not to the Israelis, but to the Jews. All the Jews all over the world. And in Israel, only to the Jews in Israel, not to the non-Jews, even the Israeli citizens. Being a Jew, according to Israeli law and Zionist ideology, is a nationality. In Israel, there is no Israeli nationality. There is Jewish nationality. That idea that Israel is not the country of the Israelis is what separates Israel from all countries in the world and is what's causing the liability, the terrible liability that Zionism is to everyone. Now, there are many people all over the world that oppose Zionism for various different reasons. But there are those who believe they oppose Zionism, but they're actually strengthening it. In today's podcast, I'm going to explain why there are many Jews that believe they're combating Zionism, but in reality, they're actually strengthening it. This week has given us yet another raging battle between various shades of Zionists. The battle started with Amichai Shikli, Israel's Minister of Diaspora Affairs, who tweeted that he has no problem with what Elon Musk said about George Soros. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, I myself wasn't until I asked about it. I don't follow these things. It seems that Elon Musk, owner of Twitter, spoke about uh, George Soros in a way that a lot of people consider anti-Semitic. Now, I'm not going into the merits of the claim whether it was anti-Semitic or not right now, because that's not the point. There's another point over here that I don't want to get distracted from that I want to speak about today. But as an introduction to what's going on with George Soros, the issue with George Soros and the claims against him are not because criticizing George Soros is itself anti-Semitic. Nobody claims that. But rather, George Soros has, and there is no question about this, let's not be naive, been positioned and targeted by right-wing anti-Semites as the model of a Jew, kind of like a code word for Jew, in the same way, in the same way that Zionists claim that when people bash Israel, they really mean the Jews. Because Israel has become a euphemism for the Jews. It's kind of a code word for anti-Semites that don't want to openly be anti-Semitic. So it's Israel, wink, wink, which really represents the Jews. The same way the Zionists claim that, there's no question that the right-wing anti-Semites use George Soros in that way. He's the puppeteer. All the Jewish tropes, the anti-Semitic Jewish tropes are 
thrown at George Soros. He's a puppeteer. He's behind the scenes of all sorts of conspiracies. He's out to control the world and to ruin the world in the exact same way and with the exact same claims that anti-Semites make against Jews. There's no question George Soros is used in that way. Now, whether what Musk said goes into that category in this particular case, that's not what I'm discussing today. Today, there's a more important point here that needs to be discussed, and that is the way Zionists defended Elon Musk. First, Israel's diaspora minister, Amichai Shikli, tweeted, and I quote, As Israel's minister who's entrusted on combating anti-Semitism, I would like to clarify that the Israeli government and the vast majority of Israeli citizens see Elon Musk as an amazing entrepreneur and a role model. Criticism of Soros, who finances the most hostile organizations to the Jewish people and the state of Israel, is anything but anti-Semitism, quite the opposite. Amichai has 97,000 followers on Twitter, and this particular tweet has 464,000 views at this point in time. Now, this tweet attracted a storm of criticism, rightfully so, because the point was not that Soros was being criticized, but he's being criticized in a way and in a language, precisely the way anti-Semites do, with those very anti-Semitic undertones, which Shikli did not even address. Instead, he's answering a claim that nobody made. Nobody claimed that criticism of George Soros per se makes you an anti-Semite, and that's all Shikli denies. Anyway, one of the critical tweets that I have collected in front of me is by a Yona Lieberman, who, his profile says, is a co-founder of an organization called If Not Now. It's a left-wing Zionist anti Occupation, they call themselves organization, secular, left-wing, typical of that type. He says about Amichai's tweet, quote, I have no words left. The Israeli government and their allies in the American Jewish establishment have fundamentally twisted the meaning of anti-Semitism. It's sad, infuriating, and puts our community in danger. Now, commenting on this Lieberman's comment on Amichai Shikli's post is Peter Beinert, who quotes Lieberman, who quotes Shikli, and says, Israeli leaders defend ethno-nationalists because they are ethno-nationalists, a world of rising ethno-nationalism in which every country is owned by a certain religious-slash-racial tribe is great for Netanyahu and Shikli, etc. It's just not good for diaspora Jews. And of course, these are just examples of the criticism that this Shikli has drawn. And frankly, I'm surprised that people are surprised by this. Here's a fact. The state of Israel does not care about the safety of Jews outside of Israel. The state of Israel has no interest in the Jews outside of Israel being safe. The state of Israel has an interest in the Jews outside of Israel feeling unsafe and being afraid for their lives because it is in the interest of the state of Israel that Jews move there. It's in the interest of the state of Israel that their population of Jews expands, 
and the proportion of Jews to non-Jews grows. The state of Israel doesn't care about Jews. The state of Israel cares about the state of Israel. They would gladly sacrifice Jews. They would gladly put Jews in harm's way if by doing so, Zionism, the ideology, is strengthened. American Jews need to realize this. There are so many Jews here in America that are not Zionists, but they do believe Israeli propaganda that claims Israel has the interests of Jews in mind. And if you vote for a politician that's pro-Israel, and by that I mean he's going to support whatever politics and policies Israel comes up with, then that makes the world, both in and out of Israel, a safer place for Jews. In reality, nothing could be further from the truth. And this Zionist scam that supporting Zionism makes the world a safer place for Jews was happening from the beginning of Zionism, and it still happens today. This has always been, and still is today, one of the main, perhaps the main, opposition that Jews have to the ideology of Zionism, not from a religious perspective, but simply from a common-sense one. Zionism relies on anti-Semitic tropes, is itself anti-Semitic. The very idea that the Jews are a nationality and Israel is its country is a contradiction to my being an American. Israel is not my country. I have nothing to do with Israel any more than I do with Ukraine. In fact, we all know that when the Balfour Declaration was presented in England, there was one Jewish member of the cabinet then, Edwin Montague, that said, no, this is a terrible thing, making a Jewish homeland in Palestine. Well, that would merely portray Jews all over the world as not belonging to their countries, as loyal to some country in the Middle East. We belong wherever we want to live. Jews, like Christians and Muslims, belong. Not only we have rights, we belong wherever we want to live. We have a choice as to where our country is. The idea that no matter where I live, America, Canada, Mexico, that Israel is my country, which is what Zionism says, that's repulsive and it's anti-Semitic. And Jews, religious or not, uh, Edwin Montague was not religious, always understood this. Zionism is anti-Semitic and relies on anti-Semitic tropes, which Zionists spread all the time. And I'm not only talking about wicked, evil people like Jonathan Pollard, for example, who publicly in March 2021 announced that Jews will always have dual loyalty, Jews that live in countries other than Israel, have loyalty to Israel, political loyalty, and yes, the anti-Semitic trope is true. Jews not only do have dual loyalty, but they should have dual loyalty. Pollard suggested that he would counsel a young U.S. Jew working in American security apparatus to spy for Israel. Now, this was a public statement. It was all over the newspapers, the Israeli newspapers, the Jerusalem Post, the Times of Israel back in 2021. I'm not even talking about an anti-Semite like Pollard. I'm talking about Zionists as a whole. I'm talking about a guy like Netanyahu, who, when in the year 2015, he came to the United States and claiming to speak in the name of all the Jews in the world, that's what he said. He tried to convince Congress to oppose our then-President Obama's Iran nuclear deal. When he did that, he didn't care that his words could have been and were indeed reasonably interpreted by many to imply that American Jews are more loyal to him than they are to his own president. 
Netanyahu said that he comes here rep- to America representing not only the people that voted for him, but all the Jews all over the world, including the Jews in America. After that speech, Netanyahu went back to Israel, to his followers, to the people who elected him, but we, the Jews in America, who were publicly declared by Netanyahu to be his loyal constituents, his, not our own elected officials, simply because we're Jews, were left to deal with the reputational damage and distrust that he generated for us. Never mind that Netanyahu lied, because he certainly doesn't represent the Jewish people, but portraying us as being represented politically, not by our own elected officials, but by Israel, because we're Jews, obviously cast aspersions on our loyalty to our own country and to his mind, rightfully so, because if Netanyahu were indeed the true leader of the entire Jewish people, as he falsely claims, that would indeed make us disloyal citizens of America. This means that Zionism itself, the Zionism that says that Israel is the nation-state of the Jewish people, means that Israel is my state. I am part of the Jewish nation, and Israel, as such, is my state. That itself is anti-Semitic. Zionism itself is anti-Semitic because it casts Jews as members of a foreign country, as loyal to a foreign country. And when Zionist leaders announce such things publicly, they know the effect that it has. Of course they do. And yet they do it again and again and again. In 2015, there was that tragic shooting at the great synagogue in Copenhagen where a terrorist killed a young man on guard duty. So Netanyahu, unsolicited after that incident, announced to the world, quote, have it here, this wave of terror attacks can be expected to continue, including anti-Semitic and murderous attacks. We say to the Jews, our brothers and sisters, Israel is your home and the home of every Jew. Israel is waiting for you with open arms, end quote. Now, neither the Danish Jewish community nor the Danish political leadership appreciated the self-anointed leader of Denmark's Jews portraying Jews all over the world as unsafe and unwelcome in order to facilitate their emigration to Israel. Denmark's chief rabbi, Yair Malchior, said that he was disappointed by Netanyahu's remarks. Quote, Terror is not a reason to move to Israel. If the way we deal with terror is to run somewhere else, we should all run to a deserted island. End quote. And yes, well, certainly going to Israel is not a solution, seeing that Israel is much more dangerous for Jews than Copenhagen. And whereas Netanyahu was busy fear-mongering and casting the Jewish people as indigestible foreign bodies in whatever country they live, Denmark's ambassador, uh, Jesper Var, stuck up for his country's Jews. He said, quote, The Danish Jews' solution is not to leave the country. And as our prime minister said, the attack on the Jewish community in Copenhagen is an attack on all citizens of Denmark. We consider the Jewish community to be an integral part of Danish society and we will do everything so that it feels safe. This is an attack on all the citizens of Denmark, end quote. The Jewish community in Denmark agreed with their own Danish minister and condemned Netanyahu's efforts to drive a wedge between them and their own country. Their country is Denmark. That's what they said, not Israel. All Netanyahu accomplished was to make trouble for the Danish Jews by 
casting them as outsiders in their own country and himself as their leader. Netanyahu did the same thing earlier that year after a terror attack on Jews in Paris. Right after the attack, Netanyahu tweeted, quote, I believe that Jews know deep in their hearts that they have one country, the state of Israel, home for all of us, end quote. Jews in France have one country, Israel. That's what he said. Jews in America have one country, Israel. And then too, the Jewish community, as well as the French political leaders, condemns Netanyahu for portraying them as foreigners in their community and condemn him they should. I remember reading an article um, in the Huffington Post. It was called, How Netanyahu's Policies Are Fueling Anti-Semitism. And this was after the his comments about the French terrorist attack. It said that although Netanyahu was rudely suggesting that Jews are not safe in France and their only hope is to move to Israel, he, quote, this is what it said, he conveniently forgot that 80 times more Israelis were killed in Israel by suicide bombers and random acts of violence in the past 20 years than all Jews killed in Europe by terrorists in the same time period. Again, I'm going to repeat that statistic. 80 times more Israelis were killed in Israel by suicide bombers and random acts of violence in the 20-year time period preceding the terror attack in Paris than all Jews killed in all of Europe by terrorists combined in the same time period. In fact, nearly a million people left Israel during those 20 years, many of whom left, uh, the article says, ironically, because they fear for their security. Here's a quote. I have the article in front of me. French, British, and American Jews do not see Israel as the exclusive home for the Jews. They are proud to be citizens of their respective countries. Netanyahu's scare tactics to prompt the Jews to leave their places of birth is an affront to France and to Jews as well. Oh, and by the way, although it's true that a great number of Jews left France to live in Israel in 2014 than the previous year, than 2013, many more Jews immigrated to the U.S. and Canada amongst other countries than they did to Israel. And don't think Netanyahu is the only Zionist politician to do this. Um, Immigration and Absorption Minister Zev Elkin said then, quote, I call on the Jews of France, come home, anti-Semitism is rising. Terror is increasing. We're prepared to receive with open arms the Jews of France. This is a national mission of the highest priority. He wrote that on his Facebook page then. Examples of this type of Zionist fanning the flames of paranoia and anti-Semitism all over the world uh, to the benefit of Israel are abundant. In 2004, the then Prime Minister Ariel Sharon said also about the Jews in France, quote, French Jews are being persecuted in France and must leave for Israel. End quote. The French Jews, obviously, understandably, got very angry at him. Uh, uh, French Richard Prosquier of the Representative Council of Jewish Institutions was quoted by the French news agency AFP as saying Sharon had poured oil on the fire in an unacceptable fashion. But the Zionists don't care. And by the way, France has been a particularly important target for the Zionists to focus their fear-mongering on because, and this is a surprise to many people, outside of United States and Israel, France 
has more Jews than any country in the world. So the French Jewish population, there's a lot of bang for their buck for Israel to try to fearmonger them to leave France. I remember a few years ago, it was about a year before COVID, I spent a weekend, a Shabbos in France, in a neighborhood called Sarcel in the northern suburbs of Paris. It's a very Jewish neighborhood. And not only Jewish, but there are many Muslims there as well. I stayed over Shabbos in the home of a Rabbi Posen. And before I went there, people were telling me, you got to watch out in France. You can't wear your yarmulke in public. Everybody knows you can't look Jewish. The anti-Semitism in France is crazy. It's terrible. So when I got picked up by a driver, a Jewish driver from the train station to go to Sarcel, I asked him about this. How afraid do I have to be? He says, why are you crazy? He says, nobody's afraid to wear a yarmulke in France. There are certain neighborhoods uh, like where the yellow vests are, where nobody goes anywhere. Those are bad neighborhoods. You can't be there. But he said, in America, in other countries, people are saying how anti-Semitic France is, how it's terrible to show yourself as a Jew here. It's dangerous, but, it, but it's not true. And it, as it turns out, not only was the car driver right, but, you know, Shabbos morning, where people go to prayers in this neighborhood, Sarcel, for whatever reason, they have all the synagogues coordinated. Everybody prays the same time. Normally, in most places, different synagogues start the prayers different times. Everybody has the prayers the same times. And you go out in the street, and there are people not only with their yarmulkes. There are the married men with their talesim, their prayer shawls. They wear them to shul. They wear them over their shoulders. And the whole street is full of Jews that look like Jews with yarmulkes, with talesim. And I had no problem a whole Shabbos. Now, not only is Sarcel full of Jews that look like Jews, it was a whole day it was that way, but it's full of Muslims too. In the very apartment building that Rabbi, where Rabbi Posen lived, there were women with hijabs and there, there's no problems. I mean, not any more than anywhere else in the world. Yes, they told me there are these bad neighborhoods and there are bad neighborhoods in America where Jews can't walk. And not only Jews, there are bad neighborhoods. And and where the yellow vests are in those neighborhoods, in that neighborhood, that's not a place to go. But Jews don't go there anyway. But there, there are many Jews in Paris, were at least then, in France, that were very scared for their lives because Israel and Zionists outside of Israel, and even in France, exaggerated and put front and center of all Jewish news and media uh, that there's anti-Semitism and the yellow vests are coming and there are Muslims in France and it's not inhabitable anymore for Jews. And you have to come to Israel. Now, perhaps somebody would wonder uh, what Netanyahu's side of the story is over here, what the Zionist side of the story is. So let's let them speak for themselves. In the Israel Hayom newspaper, which is Netanyahu's newspaper, that's not Soros newspaper, that's Sheldon Adelson's paper. Back then, when this was happening, there was an article by a guy, Boaz Bismuth, that defended Netanyahu. Here's what he says. And I promise I'm not making this up. Quote, After the attack at the kosher supermarket in Paris on Friday, which followed other attacks against Jews, Netanyahu called on French Jews to immigrate to Israel. This is the duty of the leader of the Jewish state. 
Would David Ben-Gurion or Golda Meir have hesitated to do the same? Ariel Sharon made a similar call for French Jewish immigration to Israel in 2004, and this led to tension between him and the French government. Like today, that was also a tough time for French Jews, who had to deal with hundreds of anti-Semitic incidents as the Second Intifada raged on. I'm sorry to tell you the truth. The terrible crime Netanyahu committed is called Zionism, end quote. So he doesn't claim that Netanyahu's actions didn't make it worse for the Jews. In France, he didn't claim that Netanyahu's words were not offensive to the Jews in France. He didn't even claim that the Jews in France wanted Netanyahu to speak that way. On the contrary, they condemned him for it. He agrees the Jews condemned Netanyahu. They said he made life more dangerous for them. They said he poured fuel on the fire. But guess what? The terrible crime Netanyahu committed is called Zionism. That's what Zionism demands. Zionism demands that Jews, the ideology of Zionism, that Jews must come to Israel by hook or by crook. And he's right. This guy, Bismuth, is 100% right because it's not merely the contemporary Zionists that do this. Throughout history, they've been doing this. Did you ever hear of the Lavon affair? You remember that? When in July 1954, a post office in Egypt was bombed, and then 12 days after that, uh, the U.S. Information Center was bombed, and a British-owned theater in Cairo was bombed, the terror, this terror was blamed on the Muslim Brotherhood, and that's who everybody thought was responsible for this. But one of the bombs accidentally went off while still in the pocket of the terrorist terrorist's name was Philip Nathanson. He was trying to put it in a movie theater intending to blow it up, but it blew up in his pocket. They investigated and it turns out that the bombings were carried out by undercover Israeli agents. It was a false flag operation. Two suspects, uh, Avri Elad and Avram Dar, escaped. Two more, Yosef Carmon and Mayor Binet, committed suicide in prison and two of them, two others were tried, convicted, and hanged in Egypt. There were other suspects also. A couple were found innocent, and a couple others were given long jail sentences. The bombs, I must say, were programmed to detonate after hours, so they wouldn't actually kill people, but they blew stuff up, trying to make believe that it was Egyptian terrorists that did it. Now, Israel, of course... Uh, denied any connection to the event, and there was enormous political fallout. Pinchas Lavon, the Israeli defense minister, was forced to resign uh, later in 1955. Moshe Sharet, who also denied Israel's involvement, resigned as prime minister later that year and was replaced by Ben-Gurion. Now, this was going on for a long time, Israel's denial. But in the year 2005... A half a century after this happened, Israel officially honored the terrorists involved in this operation. Moshe Katsav, the president, presented each of the surviving spies with certificates of honor, saying, quote, that Israel now decided to express our respect for these heroes. Another shameful episode was the Zionist activity in Iraq. The most robust 
an ancient community in Jewish history after our exile from the Holy Land was the Jewish community of Iraq. Orthodox Jews know it as Bovel. That glorious history came to an abrupt end because of the conflict triggered by Zionism. The Iraqi community began over 2,000 years ago by the prophet Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah. It was that community that built the massive centers of Torah, Pumbedisa, Nahardo, Sura, uh, on and about the banks of the Euphrates and Tigris rivers. But with the advent of Zionism and the animosity it created between the Arabs and the Zionists who succeeded at portraying themselves as representatives of all Jews, thousands of years of Jewish history suddenly came to an abrupt end. The illustrious Jewish community of Bovel survived for centuries, but it wasn't able to survive Zionism. But the truth is, if you delve deeper into it, you'll find out that what destroyed the Jewish community in Iraq was more than just Arab opposition. In April 1949, a Mossad agent presented to his superiors an idea to get the Jews from Iraq to move to Israel. His idea was throw bombs into cafes uh, frequented by Jews and then spread flyers urging the Jews to move to Israel. They claimed they turned down his suggestion. That was April 1949. But on April 1950, at 9.15 p.m., a grenade was thrown into the Al-Beda Cafe, injuring four Jews. That night, flyers were distributed in the Jewish neighborhoods of Baghdad, calling on, quote, the Jews, all the tribe of Zion living in Babylon, to hurry and leave Iraq. The very next day, many Jews, most of them poor with nothing to lose, jammed up immigration offices to renounce the Iraqi citizenship and apply for immigration to Israel. They were so scared, and so many applied, that the police had to open registration offices inside Jewish schools and synagogues. Additional grenade and bomb attacks on Jewish targets followed repeatedly for about a year. In most cases, there were injuries, but no deaths. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't true all the time. On January 1951, uh, an attack on the Masuda Shem Tov synagogue killed three other accounts, say four Jews. The investigating authorities in Iraq arrested 28 Jews and nine Arabs. Some of them were accused of weapons possession and others of bombings. Uh, two members of the Zionist Iraqi underground, Shalom Salah and Yosef Basri, were found guilty of the bombings and sentenced to death. Uh, another one was sentenced to life in prison. 17 others, Zionists, received long prison sentences. The Iraqi government, I know people are going to say, how can we trust the Iraqi government? But they invited members of other countries to attend the trials. The American military, Cash, found the verdict just. There's a book called Ropes of Sand, America's Failure in the Middle East, by Wilbur Crane Everland, a CIA station chief. He writes that there, the British embassy in Baghdad told London that the most plausible theory about these attacks is that certain Jews tried by throwing bombs at buildings to focus the attention of the Israeli government on the plight of Jews in Iraq so that they would keep the airlift moving quickly 
and to induce uh, well-to-do Jews who decided to remain in Iraq to change their mind and to emigrate to Israel. This Wilbur Everland, uh, he said his view was, quote, in an attempt to portray the Iraqis as anti-American and to terrorize the Jews, the Zionists planted bombs in the U.S. Information Service Library and in synagogues, and soon leaflets began to appear urging Jews to flee to Israel. Although the Iraqi police, this is still from Everland, later provided our embassy with evidence to show that the synagogue and library bombings, as well as the anti-Jewish and anti-America leaflet campaigns, had been the work of a Zionist underground organization, most of the world still believed reports that Arab terrorism had motivated the flight of the Iraqi Jews, who the Zionists had quote-unquote rescued really just in order to increase Israel's population, end quote. Most of the world believed it was Arab terrorism, but the truth is, it was Zionists trying to herd the Jews into Israel, and the Zionists took on the role of rescuers. The Iraqi Jews apparently agreed. Many of them granted interviews stating how they believe that it was indeed the Zionists that did it, And it is unforgivable, considering the long and robust history of Jews in Iraq, just for the sake of Zionism, this was done. Now, Israel denied any connection with the attacks, of course. And and this is symptomatic of Zionists at all times and in all places that Jews live. I, I already did a podcast, I'm going to link it in the notes, about the Jacob Blaustein-Ben-Gurion affair, which started in 1948 and went into the 50s, where the American Jewish Committee warned Israel to stop claiming to represent the Jews because it's dangerous for Jewry, it endangers us, it increases anti-Semitism, and it portrays us as dually loyal. In those days, Israel wasn't as strong as it is now in terms of having a stranglehold on American Jewry. The Jews uh, outside of Israel were not yet as brainwashed as they are today. So Ben-Gurion needed the AJC then, and he promised him that, God forbid, he would not. He wrote a letter, actually. Ben-Gurion wrote a letter claiming that Israel would never claim to represent Jews anywhere except Israel. Israel only represents its citizens. Yet Ben-Gurion and later Golda Meir, the state of Israel, repeatedly broke their promises over and over and over and over again. In 1950, Blaustein wrote a letter to Ben-Gurion that said, quote, Harm has been done to the morale and to some extent the sense of security of the American Jewish community through the unwise and unwarranted statements and appeals which ignore the feelings and aspirations of American Jewry, end quote. Ben-Gurion finally buckled to the pressure and in August 1950, the AJC finally squeezed out of him a written agreement. This is what it says, quote, The Jews of the United States, as a community and as individuals, have only one political attachment, and that is to the United States of America. They owe no political allegiance to Israel, dot, dot, dot. The state of Israel represents and speaks only on behalf of its own citizens and in no way presumes to represent or speak in the name of Jews who are citizens of any other country, end quote. Of course, Ben-Gurion had no intention of keeping his word, which was given only in order to avoid antagonizing the AJC. 
1960, Blaustein was forced to complain to Ben-Gurion again about what he referred to as definitive violations of Ben-Gurion's agreement. He listed three particularly blatant ones. One, Israel's notes addressed to the United States, British, and other governments regarding the swastika, uh, swastikas that were painted in those countries, uh, anti-Semitic, Acts, Israel should have confined itself to discussing the issue with the Jewish community in those countries rather than going to the governments of those countries claiming to represent the Jews of those countries. Number two, on March 9, 1960, Moshe Dayan said in Canada that, quote, his government should not only represent people of Israel, but the interests of all Jews. Number three, Golda Meir's reply to the delegation of the Anglo-Jewish Association. It quoted in the Jewish National Post, April 15, 1960, quote, Israel will continue to speak for Jewry. Blaustein added, I feel I could venture to say that you cannot expect diplomatic and financial cooperation even from friends, including me, when understandings with them and principles dear to them are violated or ignored. Yet, Israel continued to ignore them. Continuously, and unabated, to the point where today we have Benjamin Netanyahu coming here claiming that he represents all the Jews all over the world, to our Congress no less, and Jonathan Pollard saying that he would advise young American Jews who are in the U.S. security industry to spy on America for Israel. Okay, so it's clear everybody should understand by now that Israel has no interest in the safety and security of Jews. They only have interest in Israel. And they'll use Jews as human shields or as fodder uh, for the Zionist ideology, fuel to burn the Zionist engine with, uh, do with them whatever they need as long as their Zionism continues. The question is, what do we do about it. And now I want to address those left-wing Zionists that believe that their objections and protests against Elon Musk and others like him are uh, accomplishing something. There's a trap over here. Zionism implies that Jews outside of Israel are connected to and even constituents of the state of Israel. The difference between Zionism and not Zionism, the difference between Israel without Zionism and Israel with Zionism is one simple formula. It's the formula that Israeli dignitaries have used to demonstrate, demonstrate quote unquote, why if you're against Israel, you're an anti-Semite. Netanyahu said this, Danny Ayalon said this, Avigdor Lieberman said this, and even Ben Shapiro, no relation to me, said this. The reason why, if you are against Israel's existence, you are therefore an anti-Semite is, just as you cannot be against the existence of France and say you are for the French people, because without French, there, France, there is no French people, and you cannot say that you are against the existence of Japan and say you are for the Japanese people, so too, you cannot say that you are against the existence of Israel, but for the Jewish people. That's the formula. Japan is to the Japanese, what France is to the French, what Israel is to the Jews. That's Zionism. See, 
What these guys are saying, let's think about this. When he says, let's say, what France is to the French, Israel is to the Jews. Imagine in France, in, in France there are Jews and non-Jews. When he says, France is to the French, what Israel is to the Jews, he's saying that France to the non-Jewish French citizen is what Israel is to the Jewish French citizen. Meaning that the Jews are not part of their countries, they are part of Israel. And that's anti-Semitic. It's Zionism, and it's anti-Semitic. And this is the formula that must be opposed. The real formula, if Israel would be a normal country without Zionism, then France is to the French, what Japan is to the Japanese, what Israel is to the Israelis. This formula that France is to the French, what Israel is to the Jews, not to the Israelis, that is the difference between Zionism and a normal country. And that's what needs to be opposed. More than anything else, more than uh, occupations and wars and all sorts of things that Israel does that you don't like, more than that, you need to oppose the root cause of all of these things. If Israel is the state of the Jews and not the state of the Israelis, then that drives all of Israel's actions. It, in their minds, justifies, A, treating Jews outside of Israel as, Israel, as their constituents, and B, treating non-Jews inside of Israel as people who are not part of their nationality. In fact, by Israeli law, there is no such thing as an Israeli nationality. There's only Israeli citizenship, but the nationality is Jewish. The whole idea that Jewishness is a nationality is anti-Semitic. But that is actually Zionism, and it's baked into Israeli law. That's the difference between Israel being a normal country and Israel being a Zionist country. If you want to fight Zionism, if you want peace, if you want Israel to be a normal country without wars, without claiming that they that, that me as a Jew, that Netanyahu represents me, that the Israeli prime minister represents me, that Israel's my country, if you want to normalize things, we have to get rid of Zionism. And the only way to do that is if Jews all around the world deny that connection between the Jewish people and the state of Israel. Israel, let it be a country like Canada, like France, full democracy, let it not claim to be the state of the Jews. The least of the reasons is because it's not. The idea that it is, aside from whatever other problems it creates, it also endangers the Jewish people. That's the key. And therefore... You see, these left-wing Zionists that say we're against Israel's policies and as Jews, all these Jewish organizations that claim, well, we're a Jewish organization, we are therefore have a uh, leverage over here because we're Jews and even we as Jews are against Israel's policies. You may be opposing a particular policy, but in the long run, in the larger picture, you are encouraging Zionism you're taking one step forward and two steps back. Because so long as you say that you have you as a Jew have a connection to the state of Israel, that's Zionism. You should say, rather, look, I, I have 
nothing to do with Israel. Israel is to me like Ukraine, like China. Israel is to the Israeli citizens what America is to the American citizens. And if you have a problem with uh, something Israel's doing, then you should treat it the same way as if you have a problem with what Japan or China are doing or Russia or Ukraine. But to connect yourself as a Jew to Israel, to feel that you're obligated to speak about Israel's politics because you're Jewish, that encourages Zionism because that is what Zionism is. Look, every policy that the United States of America has, there are people on the right, people on the left, there are people who support it and people who oppose it. I remember the Vietnam War, most Americans were against it. But it was Americans that opposed it because they're Americans. They felt a responsibility to do it. If you, because you're Jewish, feel a responsibility to oppose Israel's actions, then you're treating Israel as if it's your country. And I know that Zionists don't like to hear this, even left-wing Zionists, because they believe that there is some connection between Jews and Israel, and they don't realize that they're just encouraging the root cause of what it is that they're opposing. I mean, even when I quoted before Peter Beinert, when he refers to diaspora Jews, that's a problem. I'm not a diaspora Jew. Diaspora are people who are spread out from their homeland. I'm sorry. Israel, the state of Israel is not my homeland. There's the Holy Land and there's Chutzlaretz, there's Golos, they're in exile, but the people in the Holy Land are also in exile. All Jews are in exile today until the Messiah comes. In any case, Israel is not my homeland. The state of Israel is not. So referring to us as diaspora Jews or, or Jews in the diaspora is actually saying that Israel is the homeland, the state of Israel is the homeland of the Jews. That's wrong. You know what homeland means, how, how homeland is referred to in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew? Moledet. Moledet means the place the nation was born. Israel looks at itself as the place the Jewish people were born. In fact, in its Declaration of Independence, it says that. I'm sorry. The Jewish people, according to uh, Jewish belief, were born at Mount Sinai when God gave them the Torah. Now, you could believe that. Uh, you have a choice not to believe it. That's your choice. But how in the world is the state of Israel my homeland? All the left-wing Zionist actions although they're meant to negate Zionism, they actually encourage it. Any connection between the Jewish people and the state of Israel, implied, and certainly if it's explicit, encourages Zionism. Israel must be to the Jews what Japan is to the Jews and what China is to the Jews. No more and no less. Israel must be to the Israelis what France is to the French. And we should be doing what Jacob Blaustein did, telling Israel, stay out of our lives, stay out of our affairs. Don't say you represent us. You have problems with, you have conflicts with your neighbors. Okay, so do many other countries. And there are Americans that are on the side of uh, Ukraine. There are other Americans that believe Russia is right. In every conflict, there are people on both sides. No problem. As an American, as a thinking human being, you can form your opinions. But because you're Jewish, you feel that you have to object to Israel's actions. Or if you're a Zionist, to support Israel's actions. Both are supportive of Zionism, because Zionism means that there's a connection between the Jews and Israel. And if we want to 
solve the problems that are created by Zionism. Peacefully, without casualties, we must send the State of Israel a message. And that message must be, stay out of our lives. The State of Israel is the state of the Israeli citizens. The Jews have nothing to do with it. Yes, they speak in our name, so we must disavow that. We must say, no, you're wrong for speaking in our name. You're phonies. You're frauds. You have not, you, you are not the state of the Jewish people. Then Zionism is negated. You see, all the problems that everybody has with what Israel's doing, whether you're a left-wing Zionist or a right-wing Zionist and you feel they're not aggressive enough, or you're an Orthodox Jew, are all based not on Israel's being a country, but on Israel's being the Jewish state. It's ba- and that idea that Israel's the Jewish state is not an organic fact. It's Zionism. It's Zionism. And it's Zionism that needs to be opposed. If you have an interest in negating Zionism, then your message as a Jew must be Israel, as a Jew, I have nothing to do with you. Your problems I relate to the same as I relate to the problems in Syria, in Afghanistan, in France, in England. And if somebody wants to be an activist and do something about these problems, let him. But not because you're Jewish. Because you're Jewish, that does not mean you have a connection with Israel. On the contrary, if you think you do, then whether you like it or not, you're really a Zionist. You could oppose Israel and not be a Zionist. But you, what you cannot do, you cannot say that because I'm Jewish, therefore I must or should get involved with Israel's politics and issues, regardless of what side you're on, without being a Zionist. The Palestinians don't like to hear this because I know they want Jews to come uh, throw their weight on their sides, kind of the way the Vietnamese were very happy with Jane Fonda when she as an American came to be on their side. It helps their political cause. And of course, the Zionists don't like to hear this, even the left-wing Zionists. So I know I'm not making anybody happy, but the truth is that in the long run, the only way Zionism is going to be defeated is if Israel stops being connected to the Jews all over the world. And in order, the only people that can do that are the Jews all over the world. And the only way to do that is to send the message to everybody, including Israel, that the Jews all over the world have nothing to do with the state of Israel. <laughs>